Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another episode of What Why? But this is something a bit different. It's a condensed version. It's our favorite conversations about tricky subjects revisited and reduced into bite-sized chunks. Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics for our honest conversation. This week we're going to be looking at anxiety, which I actually can't work out why I've never covered this before because it's a subject I'm very passionate about, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to be talking to Dr. Ellen Bora. She has got some ridiculous qualifications. She has a BA from Yale University graduated from Columbia University Medical School, is a board-certified psychiatrist, acupuncturist and yoga teacher. She specialises in depression, anxiety, insomnia, women's mental health, adult ADHD, bipolar and digestive issues. She lives in New York City with her partner and daughter. And I was just saying off mic, her recent book, or is it your first ever book? First book. First book, The Anatomy of Anxiety, hopes to offer understanding of overcoming the body's fear response. And yeah, I was just saying off mic, it is a book that for me pieces together so many things that I think I vaguely understood in myself, but hadn't managed to knit them together. And for anyone that has suffered with anxiety, which unfortunately I think is swathes us these days, I really recommend it. Um, and I've also been laughing to myself because I've been feeling vaguely anxious because we tried to record this podcast a little while ago, didn't we? And then the um, time difference got the better of us. And as a control freak, to have to try and do things again and not lose it is a bit of a challenge. But that's probably quite apt. Um, definitely don't feel bad about that. And yeah, I mean, here we are. That anxiety certainly centers around themes of control and uncertainty and fear. And so it's no wonder but. Let's all just take a deep breath and feel reassured. We're cool. Yeah, we're <laughs> cool. And the thing is, um, exactly. That's why I always think things happen when they're meant to happen. And mm. we are, we're all juggling so much. And when there is a little thing like um, a time difference plus technology, yeah, you just have to hold that gently in your hand and think, well, sometimes these things don't quite work out, but that's okay. Yes, exactly. So to talk about anxiety, what what do we mean when we say anxiety? It feels quite a, a broad term these days. Oh, this is the only question I've a worst answer than the, the crisp one. I think that you would think I have an answer at this point. It shows up so differently in all of us. Some people, it's generalized anxiety disorder where you're always chronically around the clock, kind of in a state of tension and worry and fear. It's really hard to relax. You have ruminative thoughts and racing thoughts. And that's, um, that's a very common presentation of anxiety. But for somebody else, they might have a relatively calm baseline, but it's interrupted by the occasional panic attack. Or someone else might have social anxiety or OCD. So it shows up so differently in all of us. And there's also a lot of debate these days on sort of dividing what's clinical anxiety versus quote unquote, just stress. And mm. I, I actually don't appreciate that conversation very much. I think it's not that useful. 
Um, I, I tend to think all suffering is very valid and deserves, you know, efforts to relieve that suffering. And so this gatekeeping we do around mental health diagnoses, I understand why it's there. You know, we need to standardize diagnoses for research. Mm -hmm. We need to um, put up some barriers before we do invasive interventions like medication. Mm -hmm. But since I take a holistic approach and I'm using things like diet and lifestyle that don't have side effects, they have side benefits. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there needs to be any gatekeeping. And if someone is subjectively connecting with this word anxiety, I think, well, come on over. You belong in this conversation. Let's try to troubleshoot and think about ways for you to feel better. Yeah, because yeah, no, th there is no downside to, to working on all the bits that you talk about. Everyone could benefit, it, it, you know, you're only improving your baseline. Did, did, did your interest in it come about from your own personal experience? Absolutely. I mean, it's a combination. For me, anxiety is not actually my Achilles heel. Um, I, I go to sort of different dark places when I'm not well, but, um, but as a psychiatrist in practice now for 10 years since graduating from my training, it, you know, I got the memo. Everybody coming into my office was struggling to some extent with anxiety, and it felt like such a vast problem. All the DMs I would get, people reaching out through the contact form on my website, anxiety was coming up over and over and over again. And it felt like I had to speak to this in, in a way that scales and reaches a broader audience than just my patients, because I actually really enjoy treating anxiety, and I get kind of excited at the opportunity to help someone with their anxiety. Because I think it's an enormous problem with a lot of low hanging fruit. There's a lot that we can do to reduce suffering upfront relatively readily. And not here to say we solve all of the anxiety of the world. A lot of that is actually not even pathologic. It's, it's there as a way that our bodies are communicating. Things are really not okay. But a lot of these aspects of anxiety are pretty treatable. I had one of those weird, um very when some massive synchronicity in my life so when I was reading your book I was also wearing a, a blood sugar monitor I wore mm -hmm. uh, uh, do the work that I do at my local gym I wore a glucose monitor for a month and it was one of the biggest reality checks I've ever had I have to say I thought I had a pretty good understanding of how my body functioned and being able to reckon I, I knew that I understood that I had blood sugar crashes, but I hadn't understood that that was actually happening all day, every day as a norm. It was it was a real shock, actually. It made me question entirely the way that I've been eating and, and the constant stress I was putting myself on. And what also surprised me is that I was, when I drank coffee when I was tired, the, the stress response or the the blood sugar response was huge. So it's that idea that you're piling things on. I'm already tired. I'm adding some caffeine. Probably then I'm going to crash, so I'm going to have a, a brownie. And you're just pushing your body further and further into a kind of constant state of stress, even though for me, unfortunately, that had become something that felt quite normal you know, if you'd have asked me, was my body in that response before I'd had this monitor? And I really wouldn't have known that. And I was just thought, wow, how many people? And then I'm suddenly looking at everyone's diet, seeing what people are doing, thinking, wow, you have no idea what's going on for your body. Even when, you know, yeah, it was, it was shocking and surprising. It's me. amazing, right? I mean, it's somewhat universal. Everyone who walks into my practice shares these two traits. One is that they, you know, are waking up tired, sleep deprived because mm -hmm. of life, because of doom scrolling late at night, whatever the cause. 
piling on a strong cold brew coffee and then craving sweets and then, you know, it, on and on and then alcohol at night and waking up hungover. And, and they also have anxiety mm -hmm. and I see that human suffering and I want to relieve it. And my training says, well, let's talk about it for seven years. Let's give them a medication. Let's refer them for CBT. And all of that has its place. But what I started to realize was, well, let's get their blood sugar stable. Let's get mm -hmm. them in bed a little bit earlier and set up for better quality sleep. Um, let's make more conscious self-loving choices around alcohol. Maybe it's not every night, maybe it's certain nights. Um, and then, you know, and diet is something I think we could talk about, but that's its own yeah. whole huge fraught issue. But to sort of arrive at a place where we're nourishing ourselves from a place of self-love, not from a place of obsessiveness or fearing food or mm -hmm. feeling fragile, um, but there are ways to approach nourishment, make it realistic and, and make it, you know, we stay whole. We're not mm. then losing our minds around it. When I think of anxiety, I, I always link it to women. And, and that probably is, is grossly unfair, and I'm sure men do too. But because, of, because we are cyclical and because of the, the way hormones affect us, I think it can show up very strongly in women through various phases in our life. Is that, would you say that's fair? Yes, absolutely. And I think there's so much to be said about hormones. And one piece of this is two things are simultaneously true. One is that we have a culture that kind of talks to us about our late luteal phase, our PMS time. It's like, well, you're irrational, you're bitchy. You know, it, we shame the woman and we say like, well, you know, everything you're saying is now suddenly invalidated because we realize you're PMSing. Mm -hmm. And I think we get it wrong. I think that in many ways it's truth serum and it's more like the rest of the month, we tolerate a lot of bullshit. And then for those few days, all of those filters go away and we're like, no, 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 no. This is what's true. And this is unjust and this is not okay. And I think it actually really helps us set an intention of where things need to change in our personal lives and the world at large. Um, but I think, so there's a, there's a truth to where we go in our luteal phase. And I would love for our culture to start embracing that. Sometimes it's something and nothing really just a little cry. I actually did it recently, locked my office door, had a little cry and then felt fine. There was yeah. nothing terrible going on. I was, I was overwhelmed, exhausted, had an adrenaline, massive adrenaline dump. And, and that, I found it completely leveled me out. Whereas if I tried to hold that in for the rest of the day, it probably would have spiraled into something far worse. Or I tried to, that's what I think I'm wary of that sometimes I then attach as you said earlier I attach it to other bigger things you know mm. my, <laughs> go home blood sugar crash have a fight with my husband my marriage is doomed it's all over and actually yeah you if you, you meet things where they're at straight away you, you can supple that and actually you needed a, a snack and a good cry <laughs> yeah uh, and I think that you know this is part of our miseducation is mm. um you have a nine-year-old and a four-year-old, is that right? No, nine, a seven, and a four-year-old. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Yes. So it's um, the they are not detached from their need to have a release. Like, you know, my daughter is six years old, uh, much to my chagrin sometimes. She knows when she needs a release and she has a massive meltdown. Mm -hmm. And on, on the one hand, it's really unpleasant and inconvenient for the household. And on the other, I really celebrate um, how directly connected she is to her body's knowing that it needs a release. Mm. And we as adult socialized human creatures, we need these releases, but we're so socialized out of them. It's, it's you know, when your mental health is in crisis, it, it's such an impossible place to be. And you know, as we just said, you, you feel like there is no way out, but there really is. And it's not a dead end road or something you just have to carry on with. 
I hope that that helps someone who is feeling that because I've got, I've got so much empathy for them. Thank you so much for such a um, valuable, yeah, valuable book and a valuable conversation. I really appreciate your time. Let me thank you. Thank you for doing what you do.